The sounds of Penn State's second practice session of preseason camp here in 2019. James Franklin right there complimenting a play by Shane Simmons uh, among a, an impressive defensive line group. A lot of athleticism on the field, and we got to watch it all. About two and a half hours on the football field. Sean Fitz, Mark Brennan, myself uh, out there on Saturday late afternoon into early evening and Football is indeed back in Happy Valley, and, and we are indeed back on your podcast airwaves. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, the Lions 24-7 podcast. And uh, Sean, digesting things here on a Sunday morning, morning, a beautiful Sunday morning in, in the Valley. Um, it's just nice to actually be wrapping our heads around guys playing football, and, and pads weren't on and all that stuff, but uh, it's here, man. And uh, we are now less than four weeks away. Uh, from Penn State kicking off in four weeks from now, they're going to have a record on the 2019 season. Tyler, I'm going to take you to task here. Not nearly as excited as you should be about football being back. Man, it's great. Uh, we do this. All <laughs> I should have got my. You and I <laughs> need a little Chris Berman uh, mode in my life. I guess something like that. <laughs> we do this all year. You and I. We, we we're 24 seven, literally uh, 365. We talk Penn State football, and then we get what a sliver of the year to actually watch football. And it's so crazy to think about how that adds up. And finally, it's back. We got into practice two and a half hours yesterday. Uh, unprecedented, really. I mean, I, this this hasn't happened around here since well before I was around. Um, if they did that, you know, if Joe did that back in the 60s, 70s, whatever. But James Franklin uh, opened up doors for practice. Of course, a bunch of Penn State employees were there for the entire time. So I think he kind of felt it was harmless to let us uh, let the leeches in, I guess, um, and, and take a look at what's going on. And it's an unpadded practice. It's drills. It's skill sets. One of the funny stories, and I'm not sure if I told this on the podcast before, but um, back when I was you know, going after, you know, going after players for information, going after everybody that you get for possible information and things have kind of changed now. But I had a player tell me, he's like, Fitz, what do you think happens at practice? And, and I have a pretty good grasp of what goes on at practice. And he's like, nothing, nothing happens at practice. This is, it's literally the most uninteresting thing you could possibly think of. And I'm like, well, I got, I got a business run. I got to make something, you know, <laughs> you just make something out of nothing. So we saw that yesterday. We saw that at practice. It's a bunch of drills. It's skill sharpening. It's, it's scheme fitting. It's special teams work. It's, it's all this kind of really uninteresting stuff, but you can, you can get something from it. I mean, I'm not downplaying that entire thing, but uh, it, it's just, it's, it's funny to realize the, the concept of what they're doing versus what we think that they're doing. And it really, it's it, it's interesting, but it's not. There was a point in my life, Fitz, where attendance was mandatory at these two-and-a-half-hour practices for my first three years as an undergraduate. Uh, and yeah, they, they get monotonous. It, it gets shaken up a little bit when you get some NFL scouts on the field or if you got a recruit on campus to kind of walk around and point things out. But otherwise, yeah, you're watching a lot of repetition, a lot of the same things over and over, especially at this stage because you're not really installing anything uh, for an opponent. Uh, but the coolest thing here is is always, and we're going to get into a lot of this in detail, is always kind of seeing the recruits that you've covered for two or three years in some cases actually out there in pads fulfilling the exact thing that they have been talking to you about for those years. And that was the case last year. Guys like, uh, you know, Caden Wallace, Brandon Smith, Devin Ford, Noah Kane, Adiza Isaac, uh, all among the, the group that, that they don't look like freshmen. You know, it, it's another sign that the athleticism on the football field for Penn State is at a different level right now. Uh, it's a young team, and, and Franklin will be the first to tell you that. 
but I'll tell you what, you look around the field, the way guys just can move around, the length, the height, it, it, it is a pretty interesting um, roster that they have developed at Penn State. We'll see how it comes together on the football field, but an initial takeaway is they're not going to be lacking uh, to, keep, to keep up with anyone really in college football and athleticism. I agree with that. Uh, they're they're bigger. I mean, the, that twenty eighteen and those and the twenty nineteen class just bigger classes altogether in terms of uh, just from a physical standpoint, fast kids that can can fly around and do some things. We saw them doing some, you know, slowing some of those uh, those incoming guys down uh, for install packages and things like that. So that was that was pretty cool to watch. But yeah, you're right. I mean, when, when you're talking about Brandon Smith out there as a third team will, I mean, it, it looks like it looks like a million bucks as he always has, but. Uh, you know, you've got uh, really good position groups and you've, you've stocked up at a few, uh, you know, a few spots. You've kind of gotten more than you've expected out of a few spots. There's still some, some places that need work. I mean, we're always going to talk about building defensive tackle depth. We're going to talk about the safeties. We're going to talk about the offensive line because we always talk about the offensive line. But across the board, you feel just the talent level, the raw talent level in that, in that building is, is better than it's been. Yeah, and and a couple of departures uh, to note here uh, on that roster as we talk about the uh, some of the exciting new additions. There are a couple outgoing players who spent time with this team. John Patrician at, at the safety position. He's not gone, but he is in the transfer portal. Uh, reporting that from Lions twenty four seven yesterday. Sean had the story up there, um, and, and obviously Sean, this is a guy in Patrician who he's got to be looking at the step chart and seeing the addition of Jaquan Brisker and and you know Lamont Wade's getting rave reviews from Brent. And, and, and Jonathan Sutherland's there and, and Garrett Taylor's there and you bring in you know new young players who obviously have a blue chip pedigree. Uh, it, it makes sense. It just the timing here, I think, obviously threw a lot of people off coming at the start of camp. Yeah, I mean, that, that the kid wants to play. I mean, I, I haven't talked to Johnny or anything like that, but the, he wasn't there at media day. He wasn't there at practice. Pretty obvious that he's, you know, he, he's looking for somewhere that he can go. I mean, does he pop up like a lot of those guys have at Duquesne or so he's a Pittsburgh guy. So does he pop up at Duquesne? Does he go somewhere like Delaware? You know, it's, it's hard to say, but he wants to play. He's got one year left, really athletic kid. That's the thing. People have undersold his athleticism because of who he looks like, I guess, um, for, for years, really, really athletic kid, just not as good as the guys in front of him. Um, you know, good teammate, good special teams player. Um, you know, they might miss him a little bit on special teams, but, uh, you know, safety, he was a third stringer and, and he, and he wants to play in his final year. Can't, uh, begrudge him for that. Moving on to, uh, the next roster note, Ellison Jordan off the roster. That's expected. We talked about this earlier this summer. Um, you know, never quite made it back from that injury, has had some issues um, that have sort of taken over and really just it, it, it wasn't coming back together. I mean, and this is probably not the last time you'll hear about Ellison Jordan because I think that there will be issues stemming from his injury that, that, that Penn State's going to have to deal with in the future. But that's off the field. That's not something to worry about. So Jordan off the roster, not a complete surprise. Uh, I think it was June when we talked about it when he went on his little tw- Twitter tirade. Hopefully he finds uh, what he needs. Uh, as we said back then, mental health is not addressed nearly enough, so hopefully he gets that taken care of. Moving back to football, got James Franklin, got the coordinators yesterday, got the parking information yesterday, which, by the way, they want you to read your parking information um, closely 
and you're going to have to because uh, there's a, there's a few little uh, details in there that that are going to impact you and impact some angry people as they get to the stadium this year as they they, they go through this first parking thing. But to Franklin right away, um, no timeline for the the quarterback competition as expected. Um, you know, he, he went into the question about Clifford and Levis by talking about McSorley and complimented him and what kind of teammate he was and how those guys learned from him. Again, still expect it to be Clifford. Thought Clifford looked fairly sharp yesterday at practice, but uh, yeah, no timeline. I think you want to get as many reps as you can for Will Levis. You get the young guys reps too, because you need to have a third guy ready to go. Because that's, you know, that when, when you're talking about practicing during the year, you're talking about guys that are on that varsity field. And is it Roberson? Is it Michael Johnson Jr.? Had tremendous things to say about Michael Schuster, even though he's probably ultimately not going to factor into the on-game. Sort of reminded me of, of his comments about Billy Fessler a couple of years ago when you're talking about Michael Schuster. But the quarterback competition is going to go on. You're going to get Levis reps. You're going to get Clifford all the reps he can. And I think, it, you know, eventually he's going to come out and it's it's not going to really surprise many people when it's Clifford. And Franklin's saying he, he wants it to be obvious for the entire staff who the starter is. And, and when they get to that point, they'll announce. And, and if they don't, then they're going to have to have a deeper conversation together and make that decision. And it's going to be a tougher one. But he did say, while there is no timeline, they want to get this thing sorted out sooner rather than later because there are leadership implications with that starting role. The good thing here is, based on feedback from Franklin and several players that I spoke with on the field, I'm sure you got similar feedback. Both these guys have, have gained a lot of trust from their teammates, and, and both these guys have instilled a lot of confidence in the way they carry themselves. I think, obviously, we talked about it. There's a gap beyond Levis and, and Clifford on this quarterback depth chart that, that could concern you if they need to turn that way. But, uh, you know, these two guys will be engaged in this competition. They're friends. They're competitive. Um, a couple of, a few veterans, actually, before we even got a chance to ask well, James Franklin. That, any worth questions. noting. Worth noting, Trace for- Chase McSorley uh, named starter on August 24th when he was named starter a couple years ago. So if that gives you any timeline, I think it'll be more, it'll be closer to mid-August. But uh, th- that really makes sense. Uh, a couple weeks into camp, it should be fairly clear, I think. Yeah, and uh, that's in less than four months later, he's leading a comeback in the Big Ten championship game. It's amazing how quickly a career can take off, especially at that quarterback position. You can become a pretty recognizable national name in a hurry, and I think whoever does win this job, and again, expect it to be Clifford, he goes out, plays well. A lot of people are going to know his name moving forward uh, across the country. Uh, veterans got some love, Sean, during James Franklin's initial opening statements. Uh, he spent a couple minutes before we got a chance to talk uh, to him and ask some questions, and, and some of those guys we expected, some of them maybe not so much. Nick Bowers, never, never a guy who gets undersold on this podcast, but I think Franklin feels like that may be the case kind of uh, generally when people talk about Penn State. Not enough love for Nick Bowers, who is Penn State's number two tight end, and, and we're expecting them to roll out two tight end packages uh, with some frequency this year. And, and based on what I heard from Pat Fryermuth and Nick Bowers himself yesterday, uh, that's going to be the case. Uh, Steven Gonzalez, Franklin says he, he, you know, he commends Gonzalez on the work he's put in this offseason, thinks he made the right call coming back from the NFL draft. And you'd expect Franklin to say, that but I certainly do too uh, he's got an opportunity to earn himself a, a better payday and really help this offensive line and, and be that veteran presence up there at left guard Shaka Tony Shane Simmons at defensive end uh, getting some love for, from uh, Franklin as well he called uh, Simmons beautiful uh, that's how he described the way he looks right now physically 
I wouldn't apply that adjective, but I think, you know, you can find a few others that fit it. And, and based on what we see from Shane Simmons, yeah, he's a good looking, he's a good looking guy right now. He's out there on the football field. And Shaka Tony, uh, the thing that stood out from the conversation, uh, was probably that Shaka Tony is a legit leader right now for a defense that is looking for some leadership, uh, and, and has a lot of young guys on the football field. And additionally, John Reed, uh, Franklin feels like he is ahead of where he's been at any point in his Penn State football career. He's in his fifth year year now uh, lost 2017 to an injury you know had to shake off the rust for a pretty long stretch last year before he's found his rhythm again uh, so just wanted to make note of that because when Franklin gives us some info without us asking for it uh, and mentioned some of those names it means those guys have been putting in the work uh, this offseason and uh, each of those guys we've had fully anticipated will need to contribute to this team and it's funny because it, you you hear that and you think it's preseason hype or fluff he's usually when he when he meant when he pulls these guys out and mentions them like that He's usually pretty accurate about that. We've been banging the Bowers train and and talking about Shaka Tony, how he's underappreciated for a long time here. And you know those two guys are are, are in line for, for you know for bumps this season. You know not not the featured guy at either of their positions really with Fryermuth there and and with Yitor Gross Matos back in the fold and and on the other side there. But uh, really interesting. Uh, Gonzo his decision. I mean I, I don't I don't think that's spin at all. His decision to come back was the right decision, especially with Ryan Bates. Um, you know, tumbling like he did. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, he's going to need a big year. He's going to need to take a step forward. Um, you know, he's been a three and a half year. He's going to be a three and a half year starter for the most part, but you know, he, you want to see him take that step forward, play, play some more team ball. I think that's been the thing that, uh, when you, when you watch the film, I mean, yeah, he gets his blocks, but you know, some guys around him, you know, the, the, their twists and the stunts and everything like that, they have trouble uh, dealing with that. So, I mean, Gonzo's got to step up in a leadership role and a communication role and in an athleticism role. You know, you'd like to see him continue to lose some of that weight. And he's going to be, a, a, you know, a key for this offensive line, which which can be good. I mean, it, it could it could be good. But from what we've seen in the last couple of years, I mean, you're going to have to, to wait and see and, and show me something before you can say, hey, this offensive line is a strength like they, like you know, Franklin said it would be going into last year and obviously, you know, didn't hold up as well as you would hoped. Simmons is very interesting to me. He looks incredible. I mean, he's 260 some pounds right now. He's always looked incredible. He's a specimen. I mean, he's when he's injured and out of shape, he looks better than still looks better than 98, 99% of everyone out there. So uh, Simmons is healthy. He was running around yesterday. We saw him go through drills um, with everyone else. They weren't holding him back. He and Hanser, Fred Hanser were the two guys we were watching coming into that in terms of whether or not they would limit them. They did limit Hanser a little bit, but Simmons was full go. Looked, uh, He had some snap to him. He looked, uh, looked good off the ball. Ball. It can be really interesting because you've got three quality defensive ends right there. If Simmons can be, you know, if Simmons can sort of fulfill that potential that we know he has, you've got uh, Gross Matos, you've got Tony, you've got Simmons, you've got some other guys, some some up and comers. You've got Jason Alway, who's uh, you know going to make an impact probably as a maybe a, a rotational, you know, situational guy. Um, so that defensive line, or excuse me, that defensive end group, which I watched go through drills a couple times, man, that, that, that's a good group right there. Yeah, from from the top of that depth chart to the guys who just showed up to campus in the past few weeks and months, uh, it is a very good-looking group, and Sean Spencer's got to be super excited about this uh, this depth that he has built and, and Brent Pry and, and across the board. There's a lot of ways they can do this. I think they're going to be able to rotate with a lot of packages. Uh, it's going to be interesting for sure, and and. Going back to, to what we said about some of these veterans, you know, there is a bit of a vacuum right now on the Penn State roster. Uh, a lot of the guys who transferred, as we've told you repeatedly, many of them were looking at, you know, third team duties, not really going to be making an impact on offense or defense, but 
they've been around the block with the program. They, they know their way around campus. They know what the expectations are. And there's something to be said for that presence in the locker room. A lot of those guys are gone. You add that to the fact that you had five, uh, you know, five early departures uh, in the NFL draft and you lose a guy like McSorley, who was such a catalyst for the program. There is a vacuum to fill. And as a result, because of the, the youth of this team, that means that young leadership needs to rise up. And I think particularly in that 2018 recruiting class that was so highly lauded, you're talking about guys like P.J. Mustafer, Pat Fryermuth, Nick, uh, Micah Parsons, who are going to be, you know, Will Levis, throw him in there, who are going to need to carry themselves with a little bit more, uh, you know, maturity. Not that they aren't, but more maturity than you'd expect maybe from a guy who's only been on campus for 18 months. Uh, and Franklin said, this may be the new normal in college football until the rules get adjusted and things come back around again if that happens uh, you're going to need to really see guys step up earlier in their careers because guys aren't going to stick around on campus longer that means you're going to have fewer guys who have been around for three four five years that's the case right now for Penn State and a lot of teams and I think they're in a good spot Um, you know guys like that I just mentioned you throw in Jesse Lucchetta too Um, those are guys that really when they were recruits they were recruiting other players, they were leading the class, and they were telling you, we're coming to win national championships. Now, Micah Parsons wasn't one of those guys because his recruitment went down to the wire and, and he wasn't really focused on Penn State's recruiting class. He was focused on his roller coaster recruitment process. Uh, but I think they are in a good spot because of those personalities to fill that void, Sean. And Franklin, Brent Pry, Ricky Ronnie, even the players out there, there doesn't seem to be any concern whatsoever about leadership. In fact, Brent Pry went so far as to say, while they may not have the experience on defense across the board, he thinks there is a case to be made that they may have stronger leadership than they have in recent years on defense. Obviously, he says that's going to be proven right or wrong over the course of this training camp. But I think anyone out there who who is concerned about leadership, uh, we'll see what happens. But th- there's not a concern within that building from what we hear. Well, they're, they're not there yet, and it's going to come with experience. I, what I found most interesting was Franklin admitted uh, really that the the younger guys that have had success, that sort of cultivates the leadership in them. You think about K.J. Hamler, who's, who stepped up as a leader. You think about uh, Pat Fryermuth on that side of the ball as well. And then, and then you turn around, you got Micah, you've got P.J. Mustafer, you've got these young guys who have been out there, who who have produced in, in in albeit a limited role for most of them, they've produced, but still to get them out there, to get that confidence, to get them rolling, you know, I think it says a lot about wh- how you develop your leadership in your program and how that comes along for each class. I mean, we, we talk about leaders and you, and you think about Garrett Taylor and you think about Cam Brown and these guys that are older in the, the fourth and fifth year seniors, but you need leadership every step along along the way. So you're talking about Bring, you know, even freshman leaders and redshirt freshmen, guys who sat out last year and 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 going along with the guys that played early, like like the Hamlers and the Fryermies. I mean, you're developing that leadership all along. And it's not, hey, everyone look at, well, I think Franklin said, what, you can't have two captains lead 120 guys. So you can't have everybody look at uh, last year, Trace. You can't have everybody look at Nick Scott and be like, okay, what do we do now? So you've got to spread that out and spread out that leadership, have one on every group. I mean, if you're looking at, at quarterbacks, you got Clifford. You got to have Ricky Slater, Journey Brown be the guy at running back. You're not sure yet. Journey's back, by the way. Uh, you know, it looked 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 like he was still in shape and everything, which was good. I'm a little bit of a worry there because you know his his focus has always been in question. But he came back, looked ready to go. Put had him back there returning kicks. You move to the receivers with Hamler. You got Fryermuth and Bowers at tight end. Mennett and Gonzalez on the offensive. So you need somebody at every spot that can step up, that can lead that meeting, that can be that guy. And so far, it's coming along. I don't know that we're there yet. I mean, you can't replace a guy like Trace McSorley's leadership, just snap your fingers and it happens. But 
you know, Clifford's a guy that's fiery. Clifford's a guy I think is going to surprise some people with his, um, you know, his mannerisms and the way that he approaches his teammates on the sidelines and things like that. He's going to get in some people's faces, which if you, if you've known Sean for a long time, does not seem like his personality, but they're going to continue to cultivate this, this leadership. And I think, you know, eventually it's going to, it's all going to come together. <laughs> you know, the, the portal's always there as we saw with John Patrician yesterday, but you're going to, that's going to bring up everybody on the team. I think if Friar Moose says he is at the point, he is not afraid to go up to anybody on this team and challenge them if they need to be challenged. And that's huge. And, and, and I go back to this NCAA I wouldn't fight him. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I go back to this NCAA rule change uh, with the red shirt rule last year. And, and you think about the impact, how many of those guys who did play not, not, not 13 games last year, but even the guys who just played four games, how many of those guys would feel comfortable enough to step up and say something if they didn't have that game experience? It says a lot more when you get knocked on your ass in a, in a Big Ten football game and then you go and knock someone else on their ass, then you feel a little bit more confident being able to go to older players and, and, and saying something when it needs to be said. I think that was a big thing uh, to kind of counterbalance a little bit the exodus of the veterans getting those young players' experience. Got the coordinators yesterday as well. Joe Lorig, Ricky Ronnie, Brent Pry. Uh, really nothing crazy to come out of that. Uh, Lorig still admitted he's not in a hurry to name any starters on the kicking thing. They had uh, plenty of good things to say about Jordan Stout and the, his performance last year at Virginia Tech and why they brought him in. I think it's going to be a good competition. We we saw them close practice yesterday, uh, I guess kind of putting some pressure on the kickers. Pinnegar hit a 35-yarder, Cheka hit a 35-yarder, and then Stout hit a 35-yarder. So uh, just, just, just from looking at, just from watching that, I think uh, Pinnegar and Stout are going to uh, compete for, you know, the, the guy. And it's not about, as I think Franklin said this, or Lorik said, or, or both of them said that, it's not about hitting the 60-yarder. It's about hitting the 40-yarder and in consistently. And, and they're going to chart that. It's going to be a long August for those kickers. They're going to chart every single one and, and and try to figure out a plan. If you can do that with the Brendan Cam on you, I mean, you can do it in Beaver Stadium. So that, that you know, a yeah. lot of pressure uh, yesterday. But yeah, obviously, um, you know, it's interesting. Lorig made the point and said, you know, it's not like a quarterback competition where you need somebody to set themselves apart because there's leadership implications. It's such an individualized, specialized thing uh, with those kickers where, um, you know, they can take their time and, and take it down to the wire a little bit more with the season. And, and obviously they're in a situation where if whoever wins this, these jobs, uh, particularly place kicking, you know, Jake Pinnegar, he's going to need to start well, because I don't think I, I, you know, makes you wonder because of the depth they've created and bringing in stout, you know, how long is the leash for some of these guys outside of Blake Gillikin? Um, so we'll see what happens, but there's some competition there. There's some competition, uh, across special teams because it sounds like, you know, this group is pretty fired up about where things are with special teams right now. Brent Price said he has not been around a program that places as much emphasis on special teams than what they're working with right now. And it's Joe Lorig's baby. I think he's made that quite apparent in the way he takes ownership of the room. Um, you know, I asked him a question about the defensive depth that has been established when we're talking about guys like Brandon Smith, Lance Dixon, each of whom were considered the top linebackers outside and inside uh, in 24-7 sports rankings. There's a lot of programs across the country, as we've said in the past, who would feel the need and, and really have the need to put them on the field and say, figure it out on defense. You need to be one of our guys and you need to do it now. Penn State's in a spot where they don't need to do that. And I think Joe Lorig has got to be feeling great looking across all these positional rooms and, and thinking, how can I use him? How can I use him? Because he said starters will be limited to two special teams units unless the entire staff signs off on expanding a player's role. They want to maximize their talent, but they don't want to overuse their talent. And so that tells me a guy like Brandon Smith, 
uh, Lance Dixon, uh, Keaton Ellis, you know, they're not going to be getting those full defensive reps, but they sure as heck could make a major impact on special teams. Yeah, that athleticism that they've had in the last couple of years is really it's going to boost that those those units. And I, I enjoyed listening to Lorig a little bit. Uh, just you know, you mentioned the two starters on on a special. Or excuse me, a starter can only be on two special teams unless they that that was interesting to me. The other thing was they've broken down meetings. I mean, it's not just punt team anymore. It's not just the return team anymore. You're talking about positional meetings for special teams, and that's going to cause I think a lot of uh, you know a lot of guys to think less when they're out there because it's more natural, more routine. You're watching your position on film. You're watching the guy that's beside you, and it's going to help with communication. So I thought that was intriguing. You know, you, you don't see – I think Lori mentioned they, they nobody does that. I mean, nobody does that. Uh, when Even when you get up to the pros, it's a little bit different. So I thought that was interesting. I thought Lori's approach – again, I think uh, immediate upgrade right there. I think both uh, both hires this, this year, immediate upgrades right there at, uh, at special teams and as wide receiver. We mentioned Brandon Smith, uh, Lance Dixon, guys who could factor in into a few of those special teams units. They could also factor in on defense. And and, and right now you're in a good spot at the top of the depth chart. It's it's a it's a talent laden group at yeah, linebacker. They, they don't have they don't have to right. And, and that's that's that's, 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 that's a separating thing. I think people who are trying to evaluate where is Penn State's program right now, that's something you point to. You say, well, look, you've got these two linebackers. How many teams in the Big Ten would need them in their first team unit right now, or would just say? They're so much more athletic than whoever else we got. We got to give it a shot and see how it turns out. Uh, and I know it was frustrating for people to see the Micah Parsons thing last year, but I think the outlier there was, well, one, you had a fifth-year senior who played a lot of football for you, but two, Micah Parsons had not played linebacker, was not a dedicated linebacker. Uh, and Lance Dixon played a lot of safety. Brandon Smith, though, he was a linebacker throughout his high school football career. So we'll see how those guys get on the field. Brent Price said they are both in physical shape to compete, and that's obviously a big part of this process. We saw Jesse Lucchetta play in every game last year, uh, predominantly on special teams. I think that could be the avenue that these guys end up with. Uh, both of them, uh, you know, right now, entering camp, you'd say, are third teamers. Certainly, they're going to have four weeks here to, to make some noise and maybe work their way up that depth chart. Uh, but you really like where those guys are starting off. I don't think you're going to change anybody's mind on the Micah versus Koa argument from last That's why year. I didn't really go too far down that road. I saw you <laughs> yourself off. Yeah. Uh, so I figured I'd bring it back around and, and, and make you relive it. Uh, Pry, some more stuff about safety. Uh, said Lamont Wade's playing his best football right now. Jaquan Brisker is going to be right there as well. Um, that's that, that's always interesting. Wade's always a storyline, of course, uh, given his pedigree and his, his background. But, you know, it looks like he's slimmed down a little bit. And uh, I talked to him yesterday at Media Day, it, uh, you know, really pretty good approach. I mean, talked to me about his son, talked to me about his, his extracurriculars and things like that. So I thought, you know, his focus seems to be on, you know, getting to that next step and and putting all that stuff behind him, the, the recruiting stuff, and, you know, got caught up in it, no doubt about it. Then all of a sudden, you know, he wasn't on the field. He had the position switch. So think he's he's ready to put that behind him he's still got a big competition on his hands he's still got to step up his game as do brisker and sutherland so we'll see where that goes but brent pry had some good things to say about wade and uh and, and utah Mato, uh, excuse me utah gross matos back in action um <laughs> you couldn't tell that he was gone all summer i mean they, the kid looks phenomenal uh franklin said he's about 255 probably should play around 260 
But, I mean, you, you add him to back to that defensive end group. I mean, that defensive end group looked pretty good without him. But you add him back to that defensive end group, and he provides something special there. Was right back in it, repping with the ones. And uh, we'll see We'll see what comes, you know, if there's anything else that he's going to have to deal with, which doesn't really sound like there, there would be much, if any. Um, if there's anything else he has to deal with, the, the defensive ends should be fine to open the season. And Gross Matos is a guy who's going to experience a much different season than he did last year. He is going to be circled on everybody's game day preparation uh, all offseason. He's been a vocal point, I'm sure, anyone preparing for Penn State's defense. But what Penn State does have is they have, we and we've talked about it, they have an array of weapons, a variety of guys who can attack you off the edge on the interior. So it's going to be a pick-your-poison thing, I, I believe, with this defensive line. If you want to allocate your resources to stopping you toward Gross Matos, well, then you're going to have to deal with Robert Windsor, or you're going to have to deal with the P.J. Mustafer. So I think they're in a good spot right now to, to utilize him and, and really have him take the heat off of some other guys going into the season and, and watch how teams adjust. Going back really quickly to Jaquan Brisker, Brent Pry described him as a guy who has cornerback coverage ability but hits like a, a safety and, and we saw brisker and uh and sutherland out there lined up together in practice uh boys that a hard-hitting duo at, at that position very interesting and but de- definitely get the indication right now lamont wade has every opportunity to hold on to this job win the job whatever and, and be the guy but but yeah brisker is going to press him for sure um continuing with uh the conversation about uh, the coaching staff we talked about Lori coming in parker has been a guy who's everyone's been really impressed with him from from the media to the players to the coaching staff just the, the uh, enthusiasm that he brings to the office every day and brings to the football field. Uh, based on what he heard from the wide receivers, based on what we heard from Ricky Ronnie, uh, Parker's done a really nice job of giving these wide receivers complicated instructions in a, in a way that's easy to digest. And that's important because this is a very young room outside of uh, Weston Carr who comes in uh, and he's got to play catch up as well, jumping up to the Big Ten from Division Two in his final year. Uh, it's a group that you know, is very much lacking on experience. That's one of the big storylines on this entire team um, is the wide receiver group and just the fact that there's so many unknown commodities, albeit extremely talented commodities. Uh, Parker has earned that trust, and Matt Kippenhammer is the guy who's sliding in and, and catching up with him after baseball season. But rave reviews from Parker, I wasn't surprised to hear that. And this receiver group, I wouldn't call it a chip on their shoulder, um, but they know what's in front of them, and they know that they have the talent in the room to get it done. They just got to go get it done. I feel like a jerk every time I mention it because David Corley's a nice guy. He's, uh, you know, it was not really what he signed up for to coach wide receivers, but it's such a drastic change. And that's just not only just seeing what we've seen, but watching him at camp from talking to people around the program, just it's, it's, it's back where it needs to be. And, and, you know, Gaddis was very, very good. uh, Excuse me. Josh Gaddis was a very, very good wide receiver coach in terms of uh, instruction, in terms of details and things like that. Took a step back, albeit not at an ideal time based on what, uh, you know, what they were recruiting at that point. But, uh, uh, you know, Jared Parker comes back in and really has kind of righted the ship so far. Now it's on those wide receivers to step up, catch the ball, unlike they did last year. So um, we'll see what happens, but just really back sort of where it should be in terms of wide receivers. Now, you mentioned an interesting point, and this is something that came up a couple of times yesterday. Mac Hippenhammer is not a guy we've talked about a lot in the offseason. Of course, he played baseball in the spring, so you get him back, and you're not sure where he comes out. was running with the second team yesterday in the slot, and they mentioned him like they're a guy that he, that, excuse me, he's a guy that they expect 
to contribute this fall to to come in at least have a shot to uh, you know to take some reps and and, and make some catches. So I thought that, I found that to be very you know it wasn't an outgoing thing. You know nobody really went out of their way to mention him, but he just got up in natural conversation or got brought up in natural conversation. So. That's really interesting to me because he missed the spring and I'm not sure the staff was, you know, completely happy to give him away to baseball full time, but he's going to come back and, and they, they're looking at him to make an impact. Hippenhammer had had some time, actually interesting conversation, probably five, six minutes with him and Cam Sullivan Brown, two guys that are under the microscope as, you know, people have been wondering, are they the next, you know, are they going to end up in the transfer portal if things don't go well for them this season? And, and we already know that Cam Sullivan Brown did spend some time in the transfer portal and then reemerged. Did, did, did you ask him what it's like in the portal? No, because we missed that chance. But I, I, yeah. I, did, I before getting back to Hippenhammer, I will say Sullivan Brown, he's, he, you know, I, I, I did ask him about it and you don't want to kind of hit him over the head with, with the hammer with that question. And, and, and because obviously it's a very personal decision. But, you know, he did address it a bit, and he says, you know, he, he wants to play in the NFL. Everybody on this team wants to play in the NFL, and he wants to find a way to get there. And, and, and so, you know, you got to play football. You got to go out there. You got to produce game tape. And, and you know, he had a, some opportunities last year, was not completely able to seize them. I don't know how much to read into anything with the passing game last year because ultimately it was such a, a colossal disappointment across the board. Uh, but right now, I think when you look at, at Cam Sullivan Brown and Mac Ibbenhammer, um, they there's a sense that they have a little bit of a, a rejuvenation. I think part of it is that Parker comes in. Maybe they got a new set of eyes on them, and, and they got a new voice, and, and they're feeling good about that. Now these guys, uh, they, they they were recruited by Gaddis. They came in, learned from Gaddis. Gaddis left. Corley came in. Corley left. Now you got Parker. I think they're f- feeling a little bit like they're on solid footing. But Mac Hippenhammer was well aware. Sean, he said when he stepped away and, and, and dedicated himself to baseball this spring. He knew what it meant for you know building a bond with Parker. He knew what it meant for you know competing against those those redshirt freshmen and sophomores who are who are you know have supplanted them really across the depth chart. So I think it's going to be interesting for both those guys. But obviously, uh, Hip and Hammer in particular, based on what we saw from the second practice, they're loading him up with opportunities, and and uh, you know he's going to have every chance to do it. He started nice last year, touchdown against Pittsburgh. He had a you know couple touchdowns in the spring game, but really quickly just kind of you know was almost just a non-factor. He started against Michigan. No one really even noticed. I mean, he's a guy who just did not contribute on the football field in terms of catching passes and making plays. Uh, but again, I don't know what to make of this receiver group because no one outside of K.J. Hamler has made many plays. You know, Jahan Dotson has 13 catches, no touchdowns at the college level, and everybody's treating him like he's a veteran. Uh, so it's it's really just such an interesting group. And those two guys... Uh, are kind of at the crux of like uh, of what it's all about. So much unknown. I, I did an S zone this week, which was about thirty one hundred words, and broke down the depth chart. And receiver is a spot I think I like their ceiling. They've got potential. You, you it's like the offensive line. I said earlier, you got to see it from them to 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 really understand what they can possibly give this team but there's a lot of talent there Justin Shorter is a guy that ran with the starters yesterday along with Hamler and Dotson you've got flexibility you can move you want to move Hamler around and see if you can get him some matchup uh, issues with defensive backs and and move him into the slot out of the slot Dotson's there you've got a hip and hammer that can play the slot You've got Weston Carr who comes in and can give you something. Dan Chisena got some reps yesterday, and Daniel George. I mean, there's a lot of guys, a lot of talented guys in that room. 
you know, and it's going to be one of those th- 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 those things where your performance is either going to elevate you or eliminate you. And we saw that last year with guys dropping off. Uh, Brandon Polk was was not even playing by the end of the year because of his drops and things like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, sort of uh, roulette these guys can play where you're coming out and, you know, one drop, but all of a sudden a guy moves ahead of you. You might not get that spot back. Well, you know, that that's one thing if you don't have the, the horses to do it, but I think they've got enough talent. We saw Weston Carr in there. I think he's going to be a maybe – you hate to call it. I mean, you're going to the cliche. Well, he's a calming veteran presence or whatever. But you know, he's he's played some football, albeit at the Division Two level. He's played some football, and you know, if he can move the chains for you and be that guy, then it opens up things for Hamler to to get downfield or shorter to get downfield, or 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 even maybe Daniel George. We saw them go downfield to him a practice on, on on Saturday. So you've got options there. I like where they they stand there. It's just about performance and coming out and and doing your job and catching the ball and. That remains to be seen. Weston Carr has caught multiple touchdowns at the college level, Sean. Only K.J. Hamler can say that he's done that in that wide receiver room. So the jury's out on the whole group, but there is so much talent. And that leads me to the quarterback spot. Uh, Sean Clifford out there. I thought he looked sharp, uh, and I know you did too. Um, yeah, I think he's uh, advanced mechanically as a passer versus what Will Levis is right now. And, and, and Will Levis, I would give the edge to as an athlete, of course. And I think he has the velocity edge. But right now, I think Sean Clifford, you know, you look around the, the supporting cast that he could go to work with. It's all former four and five star recruits. It's, you know, it's Ricky Slade, the top all purpose back in 24 seven rankings. It's Justin Shorter, the top wide receiver in 24 seven rankings. You got KJ Hamler, uh, one of the more dynamic talents across the country. And, and the four stars like Daniel George, Jahan Dotson. Uh, and, and so there are, and by the way, they have the guy Pat Fryermuth, who's pretty good too. The offensive line is ultimately going to, you know, I think either push this offense further ahead or it's going to stall this offense out at some point. And, and I'm talking about late in games. That's been such an issue. The inability when matched up against elite defensive lines, this offensive line has not been up to the task. It's cost them. And, and people focus on the defense lighting up late touchdowns or late field goals that result in, in these one-point losses or three-point losses. Well, the offense was on the football field before the defense had to get out there, and they needed to pick up a, a first down on third and two, and they just couldn't get a push. So that's going to be huge. But when you talk about the skill position, Sean, no one should feel bad for whatever quarterback wins this job. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the skill positions have talent. I mean, talent's not the issue here. I mean, it's experience, and, and Franklin was one of the people that said that on, on, on Saturday was – you know, getting these guys' experience is paramount. I mean, it's not about uh, whether they they think they can play or not. They know a lot of these guys can play, but you know, if, if you're looking at those receivers that we mentioned, you've got a couple of tight ends, and you know, we're going to see some twelve personnel. We're going to get those guys in the field because they're good, and they expect big things from Nick Bowers. The running backs. I mean, if you don't get it done, there's a freshman probably coming for your job. So um, it's very interesting to 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 look at this roster under a microscope because it's not about talent. I mean, it's about um, it's about getting that experience. And you do actually have some experience up front. Will Fries has played a lot of football. Minute and Gonzalez have played a lot of football. You're going to break in those other those other new guys with Rashid Walker expected to be left tackle and and uh, C.J. Thorpe and Michael Miranda going to battle for that guard spot, but. You know, you've, you've got to have the ability to, to, to take that next step there. You've got uh, experience there. You've got youth there. You've 
but the youth has the youth's pretty talented. I think that's that's one thing to, when you get away from it. Bates and uh, McGovern, you know, had a lot of experience, and you could argue they did not play their best ball last year. So, you know, how much is that physical drop off going to be to Rasheed Walker to Thorpe and Miranda? Uh, you know, Scruggs is not going to be in there, but he would have been one of those guys as well. Des Holmes is a guy that, that that players have talked about as you know being one of the toughest guys to go against on the offensive line. So. They have to figure out some things. Third tackle is going to be uh, very important because in a perfect world, you can't get through. You know, you can't get through the season with just two tackles. So finding a third tackle, finding out that right guard spot, uh, finding out if Clifford is going to be the guy that, uh, you know, late in the game. You, the good thing that Penn State had going for it was you could get Trace to, pu- to, to pull it and get get a first down here and there uh, late in the game. Does Clifford have that ability? So the, there's question marks abound, but I don't think talent is is where you're looking at those questions. We've got plenty of content right now up on the site. If you're interested in, in reading instead of listening, uh, we, we've got uh, takeaways Ooh, uh, from. <laughs> we, I hope a lot of people do. I sure do. Yeah, uh, I do. We, please, please do. <laughs> uh, we've got plenty of takeaways up there. Also, we have the entire James Franklin press conference, so you can hear things from, from him from him himself. Um, and and also we have storylines going into the season. I, I I focused on ten of them that I think are particularly important. We've discussed a few of them here. We're going to shift gears to recruiting right now. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Also an eventful week for Penn State on the recruiting trail. Uh, Some comings and goings. Uh, A couple additions, and we'll start with one in the 20. 21 class. Uh, we were looking for, for that for that next commitment among those rising high school juniors, and it came from a recent visitor, Nick Elksness. Uh, that's that's one that I'm, I'm getting used to saying, but but we're going to be saying it a lot because he is a foundational member of the 2021 class. He came up to camp uh, a couple Fridays ago for the final prospect camp of the summer. Really impressed Tyler Bowen in that tight end group. He was the stud of that group um, and, and another nice addition. He's evaluated as a top 15 tight end by 24-7 sports. He's a four-star in the composite. And, and Sean, we've talked about it before. There, there are some positions you worry about on, on the recruiting trail. There are others that you don't and right now it just seems like Penn State is primed every cycle to pick up quality tight end additions and and this kid follows suit out of the Jacksonville Florida area a ton of offers go check out this kid's offer sheet I saw some people a little disappointed maybe because he wasn't a you know a top five tight end prospect 
point to that offer sheet. It has just about everybody in the country, including Ohio State and all of Florida's big three power five programs. Six, five and a half, 224 pounds, ran a four, six at camp last week. As we mentioned on the podcast last week, he looked good. He looked really good. Um, it was 86 by 24, seven sports rankings. I'd put him higher than that. No doubt about it. But uh, yeah, adding him to the class is, is, is big moving forward. Tight end is basically recruiting itself right now. Tyler Bowen's doing a heck of a job, but you see what Friar Muse been able to do and I think people have taken notice uh Tyler Warren hopped on board Penn State and you know feels they solidify where they're standing with Theo Johnson and and then all of a sudden you've got Nick Elksness coming coming on board Elksness coming on board um that's uh certainly a good uh a good assembly line I think his rating is going to go up when people see him I mean he's just like I said he's a camp he was fantastic he moves well uh, actually I mentioned this in my S-Zone tested better than Theo Johnson did last year at Penn State's camp so um, really like what they got out of him. Uh, <laughs> it killed my uh, killed my crystal ball. This was one I was eventually going to put in. I had a conversation with him after his visit, and he's like, "Man, I'm going to come back for the whiteout." I said, "Where else are you visiting?" He said, "Honestly, I don't think I'm taking any more visits." Um, you know, obviously, he said, "Keep that between us." And I said, "Okay." So then he commits a couple days later. I'm like, hey, what the hell, man? <laughs> Come on, give me at least at least give me some time to, to throw the crystal ball in. Uh, similarly, uh, Penn State's next commitment of the week, Malik Mega, um, came off an unofficial visit to Penn State. Uh, it was kind of uh, murky about whether or not they take him, but coming out of the weekend, it was fairly clear that they would take him and he would uh, have Penn State as their as his number one school. Uh, really uh, interesting pickup from a standpoint of this is a guy that you take for a couple of years down the road. Um, you know, you don't want to lump all the Canadians into one, uh, you know, one sort of uh, project mold, but Malik Mega is a project. He's, he's got the physical tools. He's six, three and a half. He's, uh, I think, 210 pounds, ran a four, four at Nike, ran it, backed that up by running a four, five at Penn State. Um, you saw when he, when he came out to camp, and this is, this is what's interesting. He came out to camp uh, Norval Black, when he, when Norval Black, Black earned his offer and eventually committed, it was Mega, it was uh, Sean Clifford's little brother Liam, and it was also Christian Fitzpatrick. And Christian Fitzpatrick was a higher rated guy coming in, but you put them side by side, there was no contest whatsoever. Fitzpatrick has since committed to Washington State. Um, but uh, Mega was out there on that level, maybe uh, not quite as refined as Norval Black, but as an athlete, uh, he fits right in. We had this conversation yesterday after Penn State practice about Mega, and you put that kid in Florida, he's going to have... Hey, come on, use the, use the nickname. Megatron! I can't take credit With for it. I, I yes. can't take credit for it. But And, and by the way, uh, I first heard of that from Nick Dawkins, uh, Penn State commit, who's really become a vocal leader uh, recruiting for coordinator. their class. Nick, Nick yeah, re- recruiting coordinator. Um, but but we, we caught up on Friday uh, afternoon, about a 20-minute conversation. You'll get to hear that on our next episode of the Lions 24-7 pro- uh, podcast. He's fired up about uh, Megatron joining this class. And, and, and look at those measurables, the speed. You love that. He averaged about 23 and a half yards per catch last year. I don't think there's many people who can compete with him up there in Quebec right now. Uh, but he's done it on, on a larger stage as well. And, and he's certainly the guy that you, know, you want to talk about, you know, do you take a project or, you know, quote unquote project? He's exactly the kind of guy you invest in. And with a big recruiting class, why the heck not? So this wide receiver class uh, grows. and But in the 2021 class, you lose a, a pretty exceptional talent and, and Dante Thornton, a guy that we expect to be on Penn State's radar and vice versa moving ahead. But with two years of high school still ahead of him, um, he's still about 16 months away from his first opportunity to sign on with a college program. He stepped away from his Penn State commitment um, just about an hour or two after Mega announced his 
Anyone who thinks those are correlated, they are not. One is in a different class. Um, I think Dante Thornton, this is something that we saw coming. It, it, it was looking inevitable because he visits, you know. You can't fault a kid for wanting to visit, but it's hard to do that and being committed at the same time. We know James Franklin's stance on that. So when he was showing up on social media wearing an Oregon Ducks uniform while the Lash Bash event was going on, and you've got, you know, 15 or so commits from the other class on campus, you're thinking, ah, I don't think this is going to last. And sure enough, you know, a few days later, Dante Thornton backs off the verbal. Uh, he says Penn State will be in that mix moving ahead, but he clearly wants to be able to go explore his options uh, across the country with no strings attached. Uh, so we'll see how things circle back with Penn State. If he ends up getting back to campus, there's always you know, uh, some thawing that needs to go out between both parties when you talk about a decommitment and a kid, you know, reestablishing that relationship. But he's a top 10 wide receiver talent for a reason, Sean. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, uh, but we saw this one coming. It was not a, a shocker or a stunner by any means. I'll agree with that. We talked to Steve Wilfong last week. Steve just saw him at Oregon, you know, working out at the camp, you know, really enjoyed his time there. He's been to to other spots and he's going to pop up even more uh, this season for games. Probably going to go Ohio State. Clemson, I think, might might get into the mix now. Tremendously talented player that Penn State would have loved to have held on to. I think they will be in the mix going forward based off his relationship with them. Um, but, you know, you look at the numbers and that's not always how it comes back around. Uh, kind of reminds me from a uh, timeline perspective, you know, Micah committed to Penn State very early and backed off when, you know, the the offer, you know, the offers were pretty much there, but backed off when it got more real. And I think it got more real for Dante Thornton. We started getting these offers, you know, it was big on Penn State early. That's really the only place he visited. Um, his uncle's fairly tight with the coaching staff as well. So they're going to keep recruiting him. Whether or not he stayed in the class was kind of irrelevant because it, it was clear that he was not a solid commit. He was going to keep taking visits and going to do his thing. So, We'll see what happens. We'll see if he pops back up on campus anytime soon. I think he will. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a tough one to swallow for 2021 because he's probably as talented as any wide receiver in the country. And I think going back to um, the on-field performance, I think this the on-field performance this year could really help out with a guy like Thornton, really get them back into, into the groove. Of course, receiver recruiting is not – you know, awful right now, but you haven't hit on a couple of your top targets. You're still looking at guys like Keandre Lambert and Josh Downs and in this year, and maybe holding out a sliver of hope that Julian Fleming can come back around, even though it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So to get back on track with recruiting, get Parker a year, catch the ball, which, you know, easier said than done, apparently uh, catch the ball and get back at it. And maybe that helps you out with Dante Thornton. I like how we take turns mentioning Julian Fleming on this podcast. It's nice that well, one of us doesn't have to carry I, that. Load. I downplay it. You just bring it up out of nowhere. So. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not the bad guy here. That's all you. <laughs> There's no bad guys on this podcast. But when we look at the uh, potential additions, we just talked about a couple of them and, and obviously a departure. Uh, Penn State will be keeping a close eye on a couple announcements. Uh, Zariah Fisher on Monday. So this one's coming soon. Um, edge rusher out of uh, WPIAL, and and you you gave me an interesting backstory uh, on the last episode uh, about the ability to get kids out of Alakipa. Did I did I pronounce that right? Uh, I'm sounding like no, a New Aliquipa. Jersey guy. Alakipa, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the New Jersey guy showing up here. But but Zariah Fisher, uh, you know, we, we we broke him down a bit last episode. Would be a nice addition for Penn State class, and, and Michigan State seems to be the, the team they're going head to head with here. Um, Sean, we're going to learn about this, you know, tomorrow. Uh, any kind of thoughts on, on where things stand? Closer than you may think. Uh, we came out last week and said Zariah Fisher, you, you know, coming off the unofficial to Penn State, the, the the timeline lines up, but 
Uh, Michigan State's right there. He took an official visit to Michigan State, took a, a couple of unofficials to Penn State. I think he's comparing the two, which ideally, you know, you don't want him to do. You know, you want to you want to get him on campus for your official, wine him, dine him, do all that kind of stuff that they do during the official visit, and then to have an even playing field. So I wouldn't be shocked if it's Michigan State here. And and, and really, it's it, it's one of those things when talking to people in that area. And talking to people around Zariah Fisher, it seems like he's been back and forth with it. Uh, whether or not he's made up that mi- his mind, I think he's you know still considering both, or maybe even having second thoughts if he's made up his mind. But it wouldn't be shocked if it was Michigan State. That would be a hit. I mean, Penn State wants him, and that's the thing that people are going to say. You know, if he does go to Michigan State, is that oh, Penn State didn't have room for him. That, that's that's not true. They wanted him as an edge rusher. They think he's a he he's got the potential to be a productive player at the college level. Michigan State. If you look at his frame, I mean, he's six three two. 45, 250, something in there. Michigan State has had a lot of uh, luck with guys. You know, Shalik Calhoun was kind of that size coming. You know, they've had a lot of luck with guys that size and in that mold as edge rushers. So I think that appeals to him as well. But um, still not ready to to throw in the crystal ball pick just yet because, you know, we've heard he's back and forth. And if he does indeed follow through with announcing on, on Monday, I guess we'll, we'll see where he lands. And uh, yeah, so be informed out there. Be an informed fan. Don't be the guy who says, "Oh, Penn State didn't want him anyways." Uh, they do. So so stay tuned on that one. The other one coming up later in the month: Ibrahim Traore, a guy that you spoke to Steve Wolfong about, a guy that we were both high on coming out of camp, and obviously the Penn State staff was extending a scholarship. He may be that tackle that this class needs. Um, and out of New York City, he's announcing August 25th, and you know, considering the timing of this announcement and and the Penn State offer, and you know, speaking to some guys in this recruiting class, uh, pretty positive vibes for the Nittany Lions in this recruitment. Yeah, I think they're feeling it in this class. And Traore was a guy that really hit it off at the lash bash with with Dawkins and some of those other guys. Um, so, I mean, th- it would be a surprise if it wasn't Penn State. I mean, you, t- you take a look at his offer sheet. You take a look at where he's visited, which hasn't been a ton of spots. Came to Penn State in March for an unofficial visit. Obviously was interested then, uh, interested enough to come back to camp where we've seen there, there, there are guys out there on the radar that, that didn't come to camp, that didn't want to, you know, didn't want to have to work out to, for that offer. So I think kind of uh, if you're following the logic on this one, I think you, you're feeling pretty good if you're Penn State. But yeah, he's he's not the tackle they want. He is the tackle that they need because they – there are few and far between at this point in the process, and uh, they're going to continue to go after some other guys because they, they want to fill up that room. But uh, yeah, Treori, I think, would go a long way in sort of putting a patch on the, that, that, that offensive line recruiting uh, wound that was opened up uh, in the last couple of months. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We appreciate everyone listening, following along, especially on the site at Lions 24-7. For Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next episode.